Hello and welcome to another episode of Revenue Champions with me, your host, Ryan Reisert. Today I am joined by a very special guest, uh, one of my favorite people on LinkedIn, uh, co-host of 30 Minutes to Presidents Club, and a tremendous sales professional in his own right. Nick Sigelski joins us and we talk about a lot. You're not going to want to miss this episode, so buckle up and tune in. You guys have actually done an incredible job um, with your podcast and even your personal brands and how that plays into podcasts. And you're an individual seller who I, I know for sure like does a phenomenal job of running a solid process. You know what you're doing and you're trying to you're trying to bring best practices and you have no other intention besides trying to help others be successful, which is super clear. It, it comes through in who you are, right? Like that the authenticity plus that understanding of how it works is the formula that makes what you and Armand work so well. Because there, like <laughs> I know you guys because I've I've got to know you over the years. Like like there's never more than what it is. Like you guys just want to get that done. But the problem with a lot of folks is they're trying to like you said, they're trying to throw that right cross before they even have either the right to throw it or um, like should they even ever be there. And for the most part, like most of us, most of us are never even at a position to, to like throw that because like one, we may not even have the right to do it or two, yeah. even know how to do it. Uh, yet we're trying to be there. And um, what I think is interesting with the intention of what you've done with content and the way you try to help people present content is like, Hey, you have to, you have to, you have to be well-intentioned and have the right to do that. But like, can you help unpack what that means? Cause I think so many people start with this idea of, I want to sell or I want you to buy my stuff. And so of course that's the intention, I guess, but I don't know for you and I, we get the fact that honestly that stuff doesn't matter because it will come. Like we just, I know that you, I understand that that'll come when you have, but most people don't get that. So can you unpack what you mean by what it does, what does it take to get there? Because so many people worry about that, that point. And it's hard. Do you even do you hear what I'm saying? Sort of. I mean, like, are, you, are, you, are you thinking like, can you help about us it from get the perspective there? Or, of like a content creator, or are you thinking about it from the perspective of like if I'm in a sales cycle, a seller, anyone, anyone? Like, like, mm -hmm. hey, I want you to do this, but like, the reality is, if if that's your intention, like, you're already failing. Like, can yeah, you okay. help unpack so, that at all? I don't know. One of uh, the and this this actually will apply to both. I'm glad you clarified that. Anytime I ask another human being to take an action, I need to explain what is in it for them. I have to explain why it is in their best interest to take that action. Doesn't matter if it's me wanting them to sign up for my mailing list. It doesn't matter if I want them to sign up to see a demo of my product. Both of those. Doesn't matter if doesn't, you want to give correct. them money, it by the way. It does not matter what I'm asking them to do. I have to explain to them why it is in their best interest. One of the things that kills me is I hear a lot of salespeople use the phrase, Ryan, I would love to show you a demo of my product. Ryan, I would love to take you through a custom proposal. Ryan, I would love for you to sign up for my 30 Minutes to President's Club webinar. 
unless it's Valentine's Day, I probably shouldn't be dropping the L word. <laughs> Why does it matter what I would love to do? Of course, I would love to do that. Furthermore, when I use the word love, it makes it seem like it's a, almost like optional part of the process. So I'll talk about it from the sales perspective. I want to explain why it's in somebody's best interest to do something. Let's just say, um, you know, I just showed somebody a demo of my thing. And now I, um, the next thing that I think I need to do to progress the sale would be take them through a proposal, right? Help them understand the commercial terms or logistics, et cetera. What most salespeople will do is they'll finish the demo and they say, I would love to take you through a custom proposal now. And so the buyer now has to do the work of connecting. Okay, that's like the next thing in the sales process. And they have to do some cognitive work there to figure out like why they might want to do that. And so as a salesperson, I should always be uh, attaching the reason that I would suggest that is. So if you're going to use that dreaded L word, I would love to X, you, you need to tack on a reason there. What I would recommend salespeople do is say, hey, you know, we just finished the demo. The customer affirms, all right, I'm interested in this thing, right? I probably want to affirm that before I even talk about going to a proposal. Um, but I might say something along the lines of, I'm glad you liked the, pro the product. Typically, what folks will want to do from here is understand all of the commercial terms, what pricing looks like, what escalation clauses look like, what the implementation process is going to entail. Usually we do that through the means of going over a proposal. It'll take me a couple days to put that together, but coming out of that conversation, you have you should have a very clear sense of um, you know, the economic realities of whether or not we can help you. I gave some reasons that like I've used explaining my software in the past. Other folks might have a different way that they explain that, but I would encourage the listeners to focus less on how did I explain the reason and more the fact that there was a reason there, an incentive for the other person for why they would want to take that step. I'll pause it. I'll shut up in a second so you can ask me another question. But if you think about this on like the creator side of things, if I'm promoting a webinar that I'm doing or I'm promoting a newsletter that I'm doing, I need to explain in the copy or the video where I'm pr pushing people to this thing what they are going to get out of it. Me saying, episode number 97 of the show, Ryan Reiser, check it out in the show notes. Well, unless someone is a raving fan of Ryan Reiser, probably ain't going to click on that link. So I need to explain what they are getting out of it. I mean, that's everywhere in your life, right? Like, I suggest a restaurant to my girlfriend. I need to explain why it's in her best interest for us to go to this restaurant. And that could take us down a rabbit hole, but um, it works. So most people try to start with the outcome in mind, and that's me, yeah. me, 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 me. And what you're explaining is like this, this actual like logical journey around like how do you get to that and why um, – why you might want to, why you might want to get there, which, which, uh, seems somewhat lot like, like once you, once you explain it in those terms makes sense, but why is it that you, I don't know. I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on this. Why do you think so many people struggle with that? Um, like simple understanding, right? Uh, why, why, why can't when you and I connect for the first time, we just talk about that. Like you're here, I'm here. Yep. I'm trying to take you there. Why are all these games in between, and and why is it so difficult for people to to get there? Yeah, uh, I'm curious. I think part of the problem is I think a lot of people are so focused on getting the steps right that they lose sight of what 
like where is the other person coming from? I think it's something a lot of sellers forget is they have sold their thing or even seen their peers sell their thing usually at least once, probably five, 10, 15, 100 times. There's products that I've sold 50 times. And so for me, I know, okay, this is the logical path, right? It's like when you move to a new neighborhood, the first time you, 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 know, you have to look up the coffee shop that's two blocks from you on Google Maps because you don't know exactly how to get there. But then eventually it's just like it's ingrained in your brain. And we forget sometimes that the other person that we're talking to, like if I'm selling to a, uh, a CMO, they've got 837 things on their priority responsibility list. And when they come talk to me, one, they probably haven't bought this thing before. If they have, they probably haven't bought it in a long time. Furthermore, it's not the only thing that they are focused on. They have other things that they're focused on. And so my job is to place what they are looking at within context of, of like their job and the journey and the process. I don't like the word the journey because it's too, I don't know, it's a fluffy word. You know, I don't like those fluffy words, but I think salespeople forget that like okay. their buyer is not as attuned to the process as they are simply by virtue of proximity. I think about, talk about, live this every single day versus this is the first time that they bought this thing in six years. Two, um, I mean, it takes work, yeah. right? And it takes work. It's easy for me to say, I know the next step in my sales process is to show them a proposal. It's a little bit harder to then synthesize Here's some of the things that I heard from you, Mr. or Mrs. Customer, in some of our initial conversations. The reason that I think you would want to see a proposal is earlier you voiced A, B, C, and D to me. And by going over a proposal, I will answer the questions of A, B, C, and D. And so it requires some synthesis. It requires some hard work. It requires some prep. Um, I don't like talking about things like hard work because, frankly, I think it's table stakes. Like, you have to do that work going in advance. Um, but... Well, let's let's you we we can double can click double into, click that into that, that in a second uh, because that's a that's a I think I think that's an interesting topic uh, where we'll, we'll go we'll, we'll readdress that in a second. But you you mentioned yep. something about the journey and like the idea that uh, as a seller we think about these steps, and I think for the most part today, especially if you're a part of a, a funded SaaS organization, you likely have a good idea of what your sales process looks like. There, there are the stage definitions and exit criteria is pretty well defined. Like we do this, then we do that. We need this, then we do that. But what we forget about the, you know, you, you, <laughs> you can fluff around it or not. Like the buyer journey is what it is, right? Like how do you take them through that process that you're trying to, and we, we forget about that because as a seller, we say, hey, we need this, then we need that. Look, I'm going through this right now. Um, I'm working on a um, – I'm, tr I'm, I'm trying to take advantage of this crazy time right now. You know, markets – for housing markets, crazy than ever. I think it's going to go – I don't know if we're at the peak or not, but, like, interest rates are high, et cetera. So for me, I got equity in my home. I want to go and get, like – I want to make sure I'm not missing out on that. And so I'm looking at these options for yep. tapping into that, like, capital without necessarily so i'm going through this like this process with some mortgage folks and and they 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 have these like steps and they're like oh we have our underwriters and they always rely on these other people like oh they need this they need that but the reality is yeah that's what they need right in the process but they always use someone else that's like the old school selling process which we still see 
often, right? Like for us as sellers, we go through that. Like, oh, I need this and then that. And then if you don't give me this now, and then they like go silent and then they come back to you and they need it now. They need it now. And then like, you know, it's all about them and getting here. And they're like, they th almost threaten like, oh, this isn't going to happen if you don't need that. It's almost like that process with sellers today when they're, and they're not putting the, the B2B buyer. And to your point, if I'm a CMO and I have a million other things, like what you're asking me to do, like, no wonder you're getting ghosted. Well, you're making it hard. Yeah, you're making it. Right? Like, you're asking me to do work. You're asking me to do work to get to the next phase of your journey, but you're not helping me understand the why, which yes. is your point oh, of this, one right? Of my, one of the best leaders I ever worked for, his phrase was, you have to do the work for the customer. Do the work for the customer. That means, yeah. like, oftentimes in, like, a complex sale, right? I'll, I'll come out of a call with a, a customer and we'll both have action items. I need to do A, B, C, and D. They need to do D, E, and F, right? They need to go figure out, okay, uh, how are they going to set this landing page up on their website, right? Because they need to do that. We're going to host content there, et cetera. Most, most, most of the time, we both come away with a punch list of action items. <laughs> it's my responsibility then yep. to do the work for the customer and recap even if I like, I'm not the one who's going to carry out that action item. I need to like in that recap email that I send, I'm saying, Hey, and here are the things that you said you were going to take care of. And I project manage my buyer almost. Now that's not me being like, I don't know, an annoying hassling sales rep, but I'm saying like, Hey, you said you were going to do these things. I'm going to help make sure that these stay top of mind and front, like front and center. But you don't have to worry about your to-do list. I'm going to help you with your to-do list. And so the job of the salesperson is do the work for the buyer. Oftentimes in complex sales, that's why people get ghosted. Because if you think about like, you know, there's a lot of, um, uh, I don't know, thought leadership out there about the, the closed no decision. Why a lot of deals just think they fall apart. They don't make a decision. Part of the reason for that is sellers. Over 50%. Right, well, sellers over 50%. Don't do the, they don't do the work for the buyer. And what happens is not only yep. are you asking the other person to spend money, you're also asking them to spend their time, which is their most valuable resource. And if you as the salesperson can make it as you are asking yes, them to do yes. work. But if you do the work, now all you have to do is ask, is ask for the money. If you're aligned on the outcome that both of like that you're going to help them achieve, right? You understand the outcome that they are looking for. Your thing can help with that outcome. Well, then really the only thing standing in between where they are today and where you can help them get is them signing a contract, right? And sending you the money. If you can do all of the work in between, right? To help them get to that understanding. When you put the onus on the other person, when you ask them to have to think about why would be looking at a proposal be to my benefit? That's a pretty straightforward one. But I once was selling ERP software and we do like six or seven demos. Okay. And the customer would see demo one and they feel like they had a pretty good sense of what the product could do. And then we would do some more discovery. We'd understand all the different things they'd want to do. And we'd we'd understand that if we showed them more demos, we, they would have a better understanding of how they could solve their problem. And then ultimately, when they got to the implementation side of things, they'd have a better experience. But I would have to explain to them, hey, you know, you mentioned to me on our call two weeks ago, one of the things that you're frustrated with is this. In our last demo, we did not show you how to address this. Usually, when folks are struggling with their AP reporting, they want to see our AP optimization module because of how it helps with this. Is that something that you're still interested in solving? 
Instead of what most sellers are going to say, I would love to show you a demo of our AP optimization module. You're asking the buyer now to remember a problem yeah. that they voiced well, two weeks ago that they might not even remember. Do the work for the customer. Well, and then so so there's two things there. Like the first thing is like a week in a a week in business is like yes an eternity, man. Like what you what you and I talked about last week, Nick. I don't know I don't know when we met, but it's probably an eternity ago, but. You know, whatever you said to me last week, if it was even leading to, I don't remember it, right? So, like, there's that part. The other part is the work, and there's the work that you're requiring your customer to do, but then there's the work that you need to do. And let's talk about yeah. that because I said let's go back to it. Um, at the end of the day, um, there's this whole movement around, um, you know, less is more, quality over quantity. Um, the four the four day work week versus whatever. Like, how how do you? You're like, look, <laughs> work has to be a table stake in this equation. Um, my guess is, and maybe I'm wrong here, but you know, you and um, Armand came up with this idea of coming up with this, um, you know, a value based podcast. I don't know, a couple years ago, and you guys haven't done any work, right, to like get to where you're at. Like, you, you didn't do anything. You just like you just show up and interview people. Is that right? I mean. <clears throat> Like it just, you just, you just uh, came up with the idea and now you guys just get it done or was there some, was there something yeah. that happened in between yeah. there? Uh, like, let's, let's talk about, about that for a second, it. right? People forget about, for, people forget about work. And I think you and I understand this. I mean, you're a much more prestigious wrestler than I was. I was just uh, like up through high school, you're a college wrestler, but like wrestling, we have this in our fucking DNA, excuse my French, but like, we have this like. You get on a mat with somebody like you had better put in the work because otherwise you're gonna get. I mean, Ryan, it's why I, right? But most people don't. Most people don't understand that. That's why most I still coach wrestling this. now. I, you I don't just show up now, and I still like I'm been working with a college team, and I get on the mat with these college guys with the intent of like I want to get punched in the face and I want to get the black eye because like it makes everything else seem much easier by comparison. Um, I subscribe to the notion that my high school wrestling coach said on the first day of practice of my first day ever in the wrestling room, we walked in, I'm nervous. Everyone's nervous, but we're all a little excited. We walk in, we, we get in a circle. He stands up. He's got his practice plan in front of him, his whistle around his neck. We're ready. It's hot. It's muggy. Start of the season. And he looks at the team and he says, if you want to be a great wrestler, you have to be disciplined. And then he said, the definition of discipline yeah is doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it. And Ryan, that is still ingrained yes. into my brain. And I, I resent it sometimes because it forces me to do the hard work. It forces me because I hear his voice in my head, but it's true. Discipline is doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it. And if you want to be successful in anything, you have to have that discipline. So yeah, I mean, look, I think work ethic is, is it, it's a table stake. Um, that said, I think some people like, so, so let me, let me address a couple things related to work ethic. There's people who talk about, um, smart work versus hard work. And so another wrestling thing, it's, um, uh, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard is the, is the wrestling quote. Um, but the way yeah. that I, I, I sort of think about that yeah. is yeah. what I don't think people should do is just close their eyes and kick and fail to look for a better way to do things. Right. That's, yeah, well, let's be honest, well, that's table right, stakes too, though. Right? Yeah, but like, that's know, the funny part. 
that's the forty. That's the funny part of the uh, the argument. It's like, well, well, yeah, correct. No of shit. course, people like, like no. I don't think anyone who like rises above a certain level isn't looking for the smarter way to do things. Um, and so what happens is, right. like, I think I don't know. Folks want to be in this like rested, relaxed, e- sort of easy mode, and that's just that's not the reality of things. However, here's something that I would consider: is um, one, you should build it systematically into your life a process for identifying areas of improvement or efficiency in the things that you have to do. The way that I do this is every single night before I go to bed, I write in a journal, in a, in a uh, spiral notebook like this. And every single night, one of the things that I do is I force myself to write down a learning. And I phrase it that way intentionally, a learning. I used to write a redo or do-over. The whole idea is I try to write down something that uh, if I had a do-over that uh. day, Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Address, yeah. hold on, address that well, for a second because um, that's important too. Why did, why did, why do you call it learning versus a well, you know, do over or whatever? There's, there's something there. Yeah, there's, there's something important there. Me to look for like so the way that I originally sort of conceived this was like okay, I want to consistently be on the lookout for areas of improvement. Um, and so what I do is, well, yeah. I mean, what I what I will do is I'll I'll look and I'll say, hey, if I had a do over in this day, what would I do differently? And I would always find something. But part of the reason that I changed it to learning is, um, I don't know, I'm a big believer in the idea of, of like framing or reframing where it's like, whatever happens to me was the yeah. best thing in the world that could have happened to me. I lost that deal. That's the best thing that could have happened. Yes. To me. So I changed it to learning because I don't necessarily want to do over my mistakes. I just want to learn from them and improve going forward. Yes. Um, it is. Yeah, that's it is. important. The, the words that's we important. use matter. Yeah. Um, but so anyways, the, the, the process here is every single night before I go to bed, I will write a learning. And so at the end of the year, I have 365 learnings. And so what happens is there's this incremental improvement in my life versus me, um, you know, saying, oh, man, I'm working too much. Let me just sit down and like assess my workflow, which like there's this it's like I'm going to get in shape this year. No, I'm going to take tiny steps every single day to to improve. So we're talking about hard work versus smart work. That is a way that you can actually um, create a a rhythm and routine for infusing your life with smart work. Um, The other thing that I think people sometimes screw up when they think about hard work is just because I can do something doesn't mean I should be doing it. I don't know if I emphasize the right words there, but what I mean by this is when we launched our podcast – Armand and I made the decision from day one that we were not going to be the ones to do like the mixing and mastering and editing of it. We decided we were going to pay somebody else to do that. The reason for it was, I don't know, it cost us 150 bucks, I think, an episode for someone to mix, master, and get the thing ready for publishing. And we could have done that. But what we identified was there were a lot other bigger levers that we could pull with our time. And so what we've tried to do is reallocate that time couple hours a week that we would spend editing the podcast into promoting the podcast or booker booking higher quality guests. And so one area I think people screw up when they think about hard work is they think that means they have to do everything. They need to just close their eyes and get it all done. They almost take pride in, oh man, I'm it's it's Sunday morning and I'm I'm editing my podcast. Okay, well that, like don't confuse being dumb with hard work. Now, had we been in a totally different financial position, we might have had to do that, but we weren't. Um, and so I think about it a lot. Like there's things that I have to do that are, that are hard. Um, 
but I wouldn't confuse like the areas of high leverage with the things that you should be outsourcing and getting off of your plate. So there's a lot of thoughts that I have around hard work, but they all boil down really to like the definition of discipline, which is doing what I don't want to do when I don't want to do it. And then thinking about like, should I be doing this thing or should somebody else be doing that thing? Because I'm at a place where I can pay somebody else to do that thing. Now I should go take that time and invest it in something else. So let's put that back into the framework of yeah. most sellers and the, which I think is kind of hilarious, like the hard work of selling, especially now with like, <laughs> you know, anyway, <laughs> the hard work of selling, um, where, where does that go south in the journey, uh, specifically when you've got, um, you know, uh, a, a very busy, hardworking executive. Let's go back to the CMO example, right? 800 and I think you said 37 things. Maybe you've done some research I mean, on that. I made I that know, number up. I think it's 836. You said 837. You said 836. I think it's 836. You said 837. I don't know. Something like that, right? CMOs have 800 something. Uh, <laughs> they have all of that going on and we're trying to come in and make their life better. Um, we've got them engaged. Why, why, why do we fail to like bring them along? Um, the, the, you know, you, you didn't, you, you said journey was a little it's bit a of a hard word, word for you to like, say, but like, that's reality. It was like, Hey, we, we got to bring them along. 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 Like we're, we're going to help them see the light because we're here, right? Like what is our job? We're, we're going to help you see. Uh, something you don't see. Like we're going to help you identify an opportunity or a threat that's not on your purview because you have all those other things. That's our job. No, like, like, how do you get promoted or, you know, not get fired or, you know, something in between. But at the end of the day, that's kind of our job. Call it whatever the hell you want. <laughs> that's what we do. You're seeing something you don't see. Uh, I think Josh Braun says this really well with the, like, he always paints the black and white, um, like the whole old, old old school infomercial stuff. He's like, Hey, this is, everyone's yep. getting the job done, right? <laughs> like regardless of how you ridiculous you think they are in that infomercial, like mowing the lawn over the, the, the hose that's indestructible by the lawnmower and you're selling the indestructible hose. Like, you know, like everybody's getting the job done, but like, why do we see this as hard work? Why do we see this as difficulty um i mean it is i mean uh how do we bridge that? how do how do we bridge that gap like how do how do we bridge that gap uh in, in in lens of like i'm a seller i'm trying to get this stuff right like you guys you guys spend so much time energy and effort bringing on the experts you know more by listening to the biggest thought leaders in the world like you've done the last two and a half years like why is that so difficult for people because i think at the end of the day if you boil it down there's probably like a, a set of principles that you probably know better than anyone yeah, else um, at this stage right so why is it so think... hard though there's a couple factors at play here. So one is, uh, so this is sort of an offshoot of the, just because I could do something doesn't mean I should do it. Just because somebody could do yeah. something doesn't mean that they should do it. And I think there's a lot of confusion for salespeople about how they actually, um, what they need to do to accomplish their job. And I think there's a lot of uh, salespeople that use the wrong tools for the job. I'm thinking about communication. There's something you and I joke about all the time, Ryan, which is the LinkedIn profile view where it's like, I saw someone, I used to work with a salesperson. He, he would, he would go on LinkedIn and be like, 
I'm going to view this person's profile. That was a step in his sequence. I'm viewing their profile. And in his mind, oh, this CMO who's got 837 things to do is going to see that this junior uh, – Yeah, right. The 36. junior SDR viewed her profile. You know what? She's got to reply to his email now. She's got to pick up the phone when he calls. And so the idea was like – I watched him waste an hour a day viewing, like he had a system for viewing LinkedIn profiles. And yes, there is a marginal benefit to doing that. I will not disagree with that person. There is a marginal, tiny benefit doing to that. But can you imagine if he just called those people instead? Like him viewing the LinkedIn profiles probably gave him a, a one, a, you know, a 1% boost in his effectiveness versus if he had just called those people with that same hour that's a hundred percent boost in his effectiveness. And so I think there's confusion for a lot of salespeople about where they should be spending their time, effort, and energy. I think there's a lot of confusion for sales. Well, right. It's, it is about leverage. Um, and, and you talk about it a lot. And I'm a big believer that the most powerful device in, in sales is, is picking up the phone. It's the phone. It's synchronous conversation. It's conversation like this because you and I have reconnected more in this, I don't know, 32 minutes that we've been talking or however long it is than we would in the probably 400 LinkedIn messages that we've sent back and forth since we last spoke, right? And so synchronous communication like this is really, really powerful. And I think not enough salespeople pick up the phone and call the other person because it can be uncomfortable. Like you're going to, like another thing that I live by when you think about like the work ethic side of things is um, I believe that success in sales is defined by the number of uncomfortable conversations and positions that you're willing to put yourself into. That's what cold calling is. That, yeah, I mean, that's what, Ooh, that's like what that. you know, you're in a terse like negotiation that. with the CFO. Um, it's easier to like strategize and play chess via email, but oftentimes you're better off picking up the phone and saying like, I got this email with a bunch of asks from you. Like, can you give me some more sense of like, what's important to you and what you had in mind? That's putting myself out there. I'm vulnerable in that p- position, but um, and so I think, so a couple things. One, I don't think salespeople truly understand the levers that make the biggest impact for them. Two, I think if they, they, they do, they, they often use the wrong communication channel. I guess those are, those are very, very similar. The other one, um, I think about like time management. I think there's a lot of salespeople who, like there's a million and a half studies, right, on the impact of multitasking and what that does for our effectiveness. But if you think about how most sales is it even? Is it even a really like, possibility? You know, it it like, ruins like, yeah. your effectiveness yeah. to get back on task for things. And I think a lot of salespeople structure their day ping ponging back and forth between I got to check my Slack messages and oh, I got an email and let me check my LinkedIn and I'm going to go write a post in real time to go social sell now and let me make a cold call. Oh, you know what? It's it's almost lunchtime. This isn't a good time to cold call. I made three though. Let me make a couple more later. I believe that like. The best salespeople, I don't know what book you're showing me here. Um, Indistractable, you've got to read it. If you have not read this, yeah, right. Read this. Well, and so my my idea around Uh, how I should be spending my time is um, I try to group like tasks. And what I mean by that is um, I treat everything that I do from an execution standpoint like it's a workout. So I'm doing my when I'm when I'm when I'm when I'm cold calling like I've got an hour on my calendar to cold call. I've got my bottle of water. I'm standing up. I'm focused. I'm just cold calling for that hour. Then I'm going to clear out my email inbox. Then I'm going to go, like, when I have proposal calls, what I try to do when I'm scheduling yep. them with customers is book them back to back to back, or at least in the same, like, I'm doing all my proposal calls for the week on Thursday yep. afternoon. And the reason for that is then I only have to get into that headspace one time. I catch my groove. Right, I'm focused on those things. I'm primed now to yep. talk about proposals, 
and I'm talking about the same net. Exactly. Time boxing. You're time boxing. You're time boxing and right. focus. Yeah, Again, you're gonna love that book. But you're spot. You're you're spot on. Um, you're spot on, and as the 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 amount of things that we can do going back to what we can yep. do versus what we should do like what what is our what is our value in the uh value chain right everything is about a value chain right Every, everything is about a value chain like where do we where do we insert ourselves in this value chain as we take someone i know you hated this word but it's still a journey baby. right like you're taking them from here to there what do you no, want to call it like what do you want to call it like this I just hear so much crap where people come on the podcast and they're like, Ryan, you oh. gotta sell value throughout the buyer's Okay, but okay, but 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 it's the right phrase. I mean it's the right phrase. Okay. They, they... Call call it whatever you call it whatever you want to call it. You and I, you don't know something, I know something. How do I help you see it? All right, we're in that world together. We're gonna go through the intergalactic fucking yeah. Warp speed, whatever you want to call this. But while we're there, where do you insert yourself in that? <laughs> I can't even use the word because you don't like it. Uh, this thing, this vortex, but right. like there's a value chain. Um, and so there's things that we can do. There's things that we should do. And there's things that we need to do. Right? And then where do we insert ourselves? Like where do we actually... Like where do we where do we pos where are we needed, like needed need versus want for like all that stuff comes into play. If you take that lens in every area of your life, not just in sales, like it's it's a game changer. At least for me, I don't know if you think about it that way. It seems like you got that, like but that's how I see it. Like if I wasn't here, Nick, like what would we be doing? Well, we wouldn't be having a podcast conversation right now. But like if like but like. Uh, you know, if I, if I wasn't, if I wasn't involved in that experience that we're having together, whether it's a relationship, family, sales, whatever, you take yourself out of that equation. Um, what's happening? And then when you put yourself in there, like, what is the what is the thing that you're trying to drive towards? And that 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 um, that gap, right between where you want to take things and where it's at, that's you. That's the value, like whatever you want to call that. So that's your role, right? Like how do you, like you're like a magnet almost. Almost think of it like a magnet. Like, and, and if you put yourself towards your area of where you want to take it, but then how do you like attract that? I don't know. Um, that's how I see it. But most people um, really, really struggle with those um, elements because – if you took yourself out of most experiences, not much would change, right? So if that's true, then why are you there in the first place? Now, if you can put yourself in that scenario and it's different, how do you amplify that? Because that's where you're winning, right? Like when, when you can provide more to that experience, that change, that dynamic, um, that, that's where you're winning. And, you know where I can uh, give you a lot of credit for that, Ryan? I remember there not... was a point in your life when you abandoned using email. I remember emailing you once, and I got an auto-reply, uh -huh. and it's like, I don't do email anymore. If you want to call me, call me. 
and what that was was like that was the most extreme yeah. leaning into the 80 20 principle possible which i give you credit for you identified that like hey the air the lever that gets me the most results is talking to people on the phone and i'm going to lose some deals i'm going to lose some business i'm going to lose some opportunities by abstaining from email but i'm going to have so much more because i'm leaning into the phone like that's the thing like i think people they think because there's um there there's a, there's another really good book similar to undistractable um deep work cal newport it's been in the media a lot recently and he talks about something called the any benefit fallacy and this is an area that human beings screw up a lot the idea behind the any benefit fallacy is that when our brains are evaluating the goodness or the should i do thisness of any particular thing should i eat that donut should i go on that podcast should i um, you know, prepare for that call. They'll weigh the pros and the cons of doing that thing. And our brains struggle when there is something that has any benefit. We often weight the benefits more than the drawbacks. And where this comes into play is a couple places. Um, social media is a really good example. A couple years ago, I, um, I went on Facebook and I unfollowed every single person that I was uh, friends with on Facebook. I didn't unfriend them. I didn't delete my Facebook, but what I did was I unfollowed everybody on my LinkedIn profile, uh, sorry, uh, Facebook profile. So now when I go on Facebook, I don't see anything. I have to intentionally go out and say, I wonder what Ryan's up to log on to Facebook and go seek you out. The reason I did that is I wanted Facebook to stop pushing information at me. I wanted to be able to go out and get it on my own only when I wanted it. Well, my use of Facebook went down like 120%. I think I like I barely ever go on anymore. Anyways, it's sort of an aside related to Facebook. But when people are evaluating, should I do what Nick did? Should I delete my Facebook? Should I stay on social media? They'll think, well, I can't delete my Facebook. That's how I got invited to my, my friend's birthday party last year. I get invited to a happy hour there. I, you know, What about my friend from high school who just had a baby? How else would I wish them congratulations? And so they look at all these benefits, right? Those are benefits to using social media. Well, how about all of the freaking drawbacks, all of the negatives of being on there that certainly outweigh the positives, but our brain struggles. They say, look, there's any benefit there. There's some benefit there. I should keep doing that thing. Where this can play into like sales, well, there's any benefit. There is some benefit to me logging onto LinkedIn, looking at my prospects, Ryan's LinkedIn profile, and then going on with my day. I looked at his profile. Ryan might just stumble onto the, oh, you know what? I want to see who's viewed my profile. Oh, Nick Sigelski. Let me click on his page. You know what? I need this product or service. Let me send Nick a DM and say, Nick, I saw you viewed my profile. It turns out we are in the market for lead gen services. It's not going to happen. Now, if I do that a million you know times, there might be one in a million out there, but just because there is any benefit to me doing that thing doesn't mean I should actually do it. And that's where a lot of people get things screwed up. No, I think dude, that, that right there. And we're going to land the plane a little bit. Cause we're going to, this is a, this is an incredible conversation. I'm a high flyer. I, I what can I say? It's going to be, <laughs> I don't, I don't even, I don't even worry. We're, we're, we're taking this a lot of directions, but, um, I want to get your take on this too. Cause you, you, you mentioned the fact that I'm pretty extreme on some of these things. Like you, you were, you, you, you had actually experienced when I, when I threw the out of office where like, I don't yep, even yep. respond to my emails anymore. That was while, while we were working together, uh, you were actually a potential customer of mine with uh connect at the time. And, um, 
that's just what I did. I actually had to stop doing that because they got upset with me. I was like, what? Like, I don't get it. Like, I don't, there's no benefit. Like you said, there's there's any benefit. There's no benefit to me to spend time on the email. Um, I've taken that to extreme now with, with my own um, yep. inbound marketing. And I'd love to get your take on this as well because there's an entire marketplace around, like, we're doing something right now that's supposed to generate inbound interest, right? We're podcasting. The people are supposed to find us. Um, my business, uh, my, my core business, not what this podcast is about with Cognizant, but my core business, um, I, I get a tremendous amount of inbound because my, my, my name, et cetera, in the space of what would we do. Um, in the first year, I was super excited because I was so busy all the time. I, I mean, yeah. I have a website, and, you know, I was getting, I was having six, seven meetings a day inbound and so on and so forth. Um, about six months ago, I threw a gate in my inbound traffic and I said, Hey, if you're coming to my website, you actually have to pay to get on my calendar. Um, at first I thought it was nuts. I was like, why would, why would I do that? Like, my God, any yeah, benefit, yeah. right? Any benefit, the benefit of you coming to me is any benefit. Like you're saying, um, but fast forward to this stage now, um, since doing that, there's been four people, four clients. It's crazy to think about this, but there's been four total inbound that came in and paid to get on my calendar. All four of them have paid, got on my calendar, converted in an hour, still customers, and they pay. It's great. Um, nothing else has converted since then, and there's this massive drop-off, obviously. Uh, but back then, six, seven, eight meetings a day, now it's like, I don't know, there's been four total. So no longer do I have all these meetings all day long. Just open up a tremendous amount of other benefits for me to be doing other things. Can I versus should I? Yep. Going yep. back to this this yep. conversation we we're just having. Um, now I inserted a salesperson on the funnel that follows up with the stuff that fell off. The conversion rate on everything else has fallen off. Fell fell off. Fell off. Everything has fell off that was not me involved. The conversion rate is zero percent. Hundreds of meetings generated inbound that have resulted yep. in nothing. Don't mistake activity for achievement. Um, the ones, yes, and, and I spent a whole year, like, you know, feeling great. Like, I'm busy. I'm having meetings. People understand what I'm doing. Now, has anything changed around my awareness of what I do and how I do it and thought leadership, all the other stuff? I don't think so. I, I mean, I think more and more people understand what I do and how it impacts the pipeline. Now, do I have to be involved in those meetings to get that done? Hmm. No. <laughs> so uh interesting idea there right and and like should i could i what should i be doing and where is my need and value in this equation so i think that like i don't know i don't know what your thoughts are on that is that like yeah another extreme idea but think about product-led growth and um inbound versus outbound and like the need to be involved but how much uh how much of that uh selling around content versus selling is necessary. And I think there's like a whole nother, like we could probably double click into that for another episode if you're ever interested in doing that. Uh, Cause you, you guys, you guys see this probably often yeah. with what you do. How many people come to you with like, I want to talk, I want to talk, I want to talk. It's like, well, yeah, but what about what, about what? Like, can we do that without us spending time together? Or is that a necessary you and I equation 
And when does sales start and when does marketing fall off? I think that's an interesting Well, just a couple quick bullets, and I know we're trying to land the plane soon, to use your words, uh, on what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, it is extreme, but you're an extreme guy, Ryan, and I like that about you. Um, I think something <laughs> that my, my high school wrestling coach always said it to me. He said, don't mistake activity for achievement. Just because you showed up and went through a two-hour practice doesn't mean you actually got better. Just because you had a calendar full of meetings doesn't mean you were actually achieving the outcome that you wanted to achieve. Are there other ways to get to what you want to get? Maybe, maybe what you did, what you would do instead is you'd film a uh, a four minute video, and it would be fourteen reasons why you should not work with me. And you say, "Hey, please watch this video before yeah. we meet." And it's literally just a disqualification thing, and you do that instead. Um, so I think there's a lot of ways you could achieve what you're looking to accomplish there. Yeah, I, I like mean, that. By uh, the way. I'll tell you it's what we did for idea. our podcast. We did an analysis of our guests, and we looked at the quality of those guests. And we made the determination that if somebody outbounds us, they ask to come on our show. We, we just don't accept outbound guests anymore. Guests who came to us. We are the ones who are going out and saying, I love the stuff you put on LinkedIn, Ryan. We'd like to have you on the show. So um, what that means is we lose potentially very good guests. But we just made that as our, as, our, as our rule because we saw our number one customer is our audience. We cannot be publishing bad episodes so we only see we 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 determined that the right lever for us was us outbounding only the top tier guests. We we lose stuff. But you've had that from the you 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 almost had that from the beginning though. I I remember. Yeah. At least the yeah. first time we talked. That's like, it's that sort of the, your, the that was I, mean, your, look, that was I think there's principle. a lot of we can bring this all the way full circle. We we're talking about like content in the beginning. I think a lot of people mistake more for better. I don't believe that. I would rather put out yeah. one killer podcast once a week. That's it. Other people are doing stuff daily um, and more power to them for that. But I believe that I, that, that it's like the McRib man. When McDonald's puts the McRib out, the McRib fans are going to buy that McRib because they love it. It's not there all the time. It's not, 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 not endlessly available. <laughs> I haven't eaten a McRib in my life for what it's worth, but. <laughs> I was gonna I'm say, not a McRib you guy. Like you know, I have been making ceviche at home, which is really good. <laughs> Nick, uh, honestly, this is probably one of the most exciting conversations I've had in a long time. Uh, it wasn't surprised. Very raw, uncut, unfiltered. Um, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. We we went through a lot today. Um, for those under a rock who may not know you and just heard of you for the first time, uh, how open are you to communicating and connecting? And if so, where would they find you? How do they connect? Uh, where do they find? Well, on a scale of one to ten, how open am I to communicating? Ten being the best, I'd say I'm an eight hundred and thirty-seven. So that's it. Um, yeah, <laughs> like the CMOs uh, number of tasks, I would I would argue it's folks can connect but, with me on yeah. LinkedIn. My first name's yeah. easy. It's Nick. My last name's a little tougher. It's C E G E L S K I, and I accept every single LinkedIn connection request that I get, except the ones who say, "Nick, I've got some Bitcoin to sell you." So that's me. Hmm. You're really limiting. Hey, you know what? Any benefit, man? Any benefit, Bill? <laughs> Thank you so much for, uh, Thanks for the uh, coming on, brother. Appreciate I appreciate it. it. Have a great day.